0: It sucks having to deal with the bloating, gas, discomfort, and pooping problems that IBS brings, but if you've ever tried to follow the diet recommended for IBS, not fun. The low FODMAP diet might help alleviate some symptoms, but it's not actually getting to the root cause of why you have IBS in the first place. In FODMAP Freedom in 90 Days, Dr. Deneza teaches you how to finally get to the root cause of your IBS. Whether you're stuck on the low FODMAP diet or you're trying to avoid having to use it, FODMAP Freedom will give you the roadmap and support you need to get well. Dr. Deneza has helped hundreds of people with IBS and SIBO cure those conditions, balance their guts, and enjoy a less restrictive diet. FODMAP Freedom is now open for enrollment this week only. And if you sign up for the program today, February 15th, 2021, you'll get a bonus gift. Follow Dr. Deneza on Instagram at triangle guts to learn more about FODMAP freedom and join her upcoming free workshop, three sneaky things holding you back from IBS success. Hello, welcome to one more day in purgatory. You're listening to the fuck a diet podcast. I'm Caroline. And today I am bringing you another episode Go figure. Um, today I'm chatting with somebody who I actually knew in high school, but who I reconnected with because we are both in the anti diet, body positive, body neutral, however you want to call it. She like she prefers body neutral space online. We reconnected online, and she is in the fitness space. Trying to make fitness a more inclusive place, and our conversation is really honestly it was a really amazing conversation. I we could have gone on for two hours, but I had to get off the call after an hour. Um, so this will be a long episode. Um, the conversation's almost an hour. We got started a little late because we had some tech problems, but. I really enjoyed the conversation. We cover a lot of topics. We talk about sort of her experience with weight stigma and her disordered relationship with exercise and um, and then sort of her journey to, to understanding that what she was doing was not helping her and not making her a healthier, happier person really. We talk about how she learned to be trauma informed with the work that she does as a fitness instructor. And we also talk about pregnancy and diet culture and pregnancy. So we cover a lot, um, and I'm very excited for you to listen to the conversation before I play it. I want to share one email that I got from somebody and then I'll just get right into it. Okay this is the email. I've been listening to the podcast in real time since episode one. That's so wild. That was back in 2016. I love your podcast and I really love your book. I'm a registered dietitian and I think your book is one of my favorite resources to recommend to people who are starting a non-diet journey. I was a weight centric RD for a long time. I found your podcast when i was starting my very own intuitive eating knowledge practice journey without it i probably would have treated intuitive eating like the hunger and fullness diet my journey of healing and basically blowing up everything i thought i knew about weight science has successfully stopped the cycle of disordered eating from being passed on to my eight-year-old daughter and it's helped me feel good about being a dietitian again i work very part-time around my daughter's school schedule but Helping spread the core messages of the fuck a diet, intuitive eating, food and weight neutrality to a small number of clients fills me up so much. It has meant so much to me that you've often spoken about how when people ask you about weight loss science, you have a hard time recalling it instantly. I don't know if you've heard me talk about this on the podcast. I'm I'm going on a tangent and not reading the email for a second. But I have read all the science, I have read all the books about the science, I I literally metabolize it into like dumb, dumb down speak, which is a gift. But then when people ask me to recall the actual studies, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? That's not how my brain works. So it's very hard. And of course, people always do. It's a lot of it's in my book, which is great. But when if you want me to re- recall it off the top of my head, like, good luck to me. I will fail. Okay, she goes on, as a registered dietitian, there's an expectation that I can quote studies off the top of my head, and even though I have a boatload of information at my fingertips via resources like your book and a massive file folder on my desktop, instant science recall is not in my skill set, and hearing you talk about that made me feel less self-conscious. Well, I'm glad. I would like to hear other people talk about it, too, so we can all feel even less self-conscious. P.S., Sorry, I just lost it. P.S. Thank you for putting it out there. This is going to be controversial, guys. That Schitt's Creek, on the whole, isn't that funny. I'm sorry, but it's true. That's how I feel. My husband and I love the Dan Levy character, but that was it, and we gave up in the middle of season one. I thought we were genetic mutants because everyone we know loves that show. Once again, you provided validation for how we felt inside. You know what, guys? It, it's made me, like, literally, I can't even tell you, I have people on Instagram, when I had my whole Shit's Creek saga, in when I was basically saying I've watched five seasons of it just to try and understand what people are talking about, and I just don't get it. I had people be like, I thought I liked you, but I don't know what to do with this information. Like, I, I like, rock people to their core, and I think people unfollowed me for it. But I have to speak my truth. I don't, I don't think it's that funny I'm so sorry I wanted to I literally watched five seasons oh and then people were like you have to give it more time you have to like get to season two and I was like oh but I did okay are you ready for the conversation with Larkin oh I haven't even told you her name yet her name is Larkin Silverman but you'll get that soon or will you maybe you won't Maybe she doesn't even say her name. Okay, her name is Larkin Silverman, and this is our conversation.
1: Hi, Larkin. Welcome to the podcast. Hi. Oh, thank you for having me. This is wild.
0: I'm so excited. So we go really far back. Um, yeah. I actually have so many people on this podcast that I personally know or that or that live in Philadelphia, even if I don't personally know them. So it's kind of weird, um, but I love it. And we go back to summer theater counts. oh my god
1: (laughs) yeah unfortunately or fortunately we do um what what, did we do wonderland
0: exclamation point together what were the shows that we did (gasps) okay i have to
1: confess to you that i have blocked out so many of them because i have i have like a lot of embarrassment about the uh, childhood of musical theater Um, i
0: blocked I, i really blocked out so much of high school to be perfectly honest with
1: you okay Oh, and, I understand. And <laughs> it's um, all a blur. It's such about, a blur. I I do think Wonderland exclamation point was a show we were in. And now I know why I blocked it out because I think I had to be in like a giant life size flower pot. Oh my and like god. with a with um with a flower around my face. Oh my god. And dancing in a flower pot. Yeah. So that's a real thing that we both did, <laughs> quote unquote voluntarily. Oh, that reminds me my,
0: so my first summer stage. So for everyone listening, if you read Tina Fey's book, when she (laughs) talks about summer showtime, it's exactly the place where we went. She's from outside Philadelphia, but it's not called summer showtime. Um, and my first show there was. Sorry, this is such a tangent. I thought I
1: was going to jump right into who you are, but we'll get there. I promise.
0: Um, <laughs> I think my- this was an
1: inevitable, inevitable <laughs> tangent because I think it like also. I think as you've talked about theater and dance fucked me up real so good. So much. With so much diet. So obsessed. So obsessed with. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. really bad.
0: Um, my first show was when I was 12 there, and it was. Aladdin, but I don't know if you saw it, it was the Chinese version of Aladdin, which I don't really understand. Yes,
1: all the the licensing of the shows was fascinating and weird. And I was a tree. So like (laughs) that stereotypical, I was an umbrella
0: tree and I did a little dance with two other people, had a little song, but that stereotypical, like I'm a tree in a musical. Like I really genuinely
1: was. Yeah, was. Um, I don't. Okay. Even, oh, oh, my first show was Secret Garden. No, I'm just remembering now. And uh, like the horrors of my first audition and um, sitting there in that cold chorus room, realizing I had never shaved my legs because I was 11 years old.
0: Uh,
1: and oh. that was like the beginning. The beginning of it all, of like the hyper yeah. focus on what you look like yeah. and how you're being perceived. Absolutely.
0: Ugh, I know. I know it so well. Um, okay. Oh. So let's, let's get into, um, you know, (laughs) so we, we knew each other, (laughs) we knew each other then, and then we sort of reconnected more recently because we're both in this, you know, I was actually going to ask you how you like to define it. Like, do you like to say body positive? Do you like to say body neutral body liberation? Um, how do you like to talk about it? And will you
1: tell us what
0: you do in that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, um, It's also interesting to even answer the question, like, what do you do in 2021? Oh, my God. Never ending (laughs) pandemic time. Right. Because this whole like year plus also I'm a new mom. um, This whole year plus has just been like adjusting to motherhood and postpartum and every single aspect of my life and my work has changed for of better of course or for worse. of
0: course and and that question what do you do is like mm-hmm. I could rip that question apart in a million ways of like what a gross way to like yeah. start a conversation <laughs> um and it is it's like I don't care who you are and like what you care about I just want to know what you do like how do you contribute? do yeah that. but of course <laughs> what I what I'm what I do mean is like you know what is your um you know
1: <laughs> yeah I do know so you no know what not, I mean it's laden. So what I do and who I am, um, if you're on Instagram, my handle is Vixen. That's like my brand, my website, my work. Um, I used to say body positive And then I read the body is not an apology, which like blew my damn mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think a lot about how powerful neutrality is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also love, love, love the entire concept of body liberation. But I do think it gets sort of watered down and made palatable when body liberation is actually incredibly tied with social justice, yeah, the fight for racial equity, even like intersectional environmental justice, right? That's all about liberating marginalized bodies and communities from the trauma and toxicity of the diet industrial complex and yeah. American capitalism and all that stuff. So let's say body neutral, because that feels like the safest and the uh, the most accurate of a representation of my scope of practice.
0: Yeah.
1: So I teach private and group, but what the heck does group fitness mean in a pandemic? Um, <laughs> yoga, bar, and that beautiful hybrid thing that always, always gets called yoga sculpt, but I hate the word sculpt. I think mm. it's disgusting. Mm-hmm. And we can unpack that later. Um, and I also teach some self-myofascial release techniques. Ooh. I'm certified in melt method, but I kind of have broken up with melt because of some other nefarious diet culture stuffy they do. So oh, no. <laughs> gentle. <gentle-friendly>. It's everywhere. <laughs> yeah. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's like every training release.
0: That's so it's cool. It's so great. Bro. I like saved yeah, my it's... life when I had sciatic uh, nerve pain in oh, college. Yes. It was awful. And like the only thing that gave me release was or and relief and healing was going to a myofascia myofascial release practitioner. Really?
1: Yeah. The sciatic nerve pain I'm right there with you is so debilitating. Really? And it really, really is. Oh, it's a doozy. Yeah. So I teach movement classes, um, but the overall umbrella for everything is that I do so from a trauma informed lens. Mm. So A lot of what you talk about in the fuck it diet, kind of those like getting out of your head, dropping into your body, Mm -hmm. feeling the actual weight of your frame and your own substance. That's a lot of what I teach in my classes. So whether it's something that's more like intensive and hype and we're shaking because we're doing bar moves or it's a restorative yoga class. Um, So a lot of things I'll do will be literally queuing folks to experience proprioception and then interoception, mm. um, especially because, you know, I'm a, we can talk about this more, um, but I'm a sexual violence survivor. So mm. for a long, long time, my body was not a safe place to be because yeah. that was like the, that was the site and seat of the pain. And I think, you know, my friend, um, Lauren, who I know you've talked to before, yeah. she just had a really interesting Instagram post about, you know, sometimes you see cute little inspirational quotes on Pinterest about the hardest part of your workout is showing up, but maybe it's actually the freaking workout. Um, yes. I totally agree, yes. but I also know for me and how I relate to my body that getting on my yoga mat can be the hardest thing. And it can right. be so scary because it means I have to actually spend time with myself. Um, and that's something that can be really, really, really challenging and compounded by all the intersection intersecting traumas that everyone has, especially if you navigate the world in a marginalized body in an incredibly racist and socio socioeconomically stratified society. Yeah. Um, and I've also, worked a long time in the fitness studio setting, um, trying to make the studio itself a place that is more inclusive, less exclusionary, more actually reflective of real world diversity and not just thin white affluent cis straight women in Lululemon. Yeah.
0: Oh, and it's so important because it can be, because it, I think for so many people, it feels like such a, a judgmental, uh, even just yeah. the idea of it. And because of past experiences, a judgmental and scary and um, unsafe place Absolutely. to go. And, yeah. and, and then that just perpetuates this, you know, tenuous relationship with exercise and being in your body. So it really is so important, the work you're doing. Thanks. Well, I'm just curious how you, I mean, I'm sure that this is a very long answer and I'm sure it's not a a simple, quick answer, but how did you come to have the awareness around trauma and embodiment yourself? And then as a part of the way that you both practice fitness and also teach.
1: Mm-hmm. Oh man. So <laughs> it, it was like simultaneously kind of a lightning bolt. Aha. Uh-huh, and then, a really, really gradual, never ending, unlearning and unfolding process that I'm still in the thick of and will be for the rest of my life as like a nerd and a therapy enthusiast and Mm -hmm. someone who writes to process. Um, So I enrolled in my 200 hour yoga teacher training right as I was finishing up um, a really, really intensive grad program here in Philadelphia. I was finishing my master's. Um, can you still hear me? My, yeah, I can. I can't. Sorry. I'm okay, just listening. Cool. No <laughs> worries. No, my computer just tried to shut down. Oh shit. And, <laughs> So I was finishing my master's in social policy at Penn and um, I was living alone and pretty isolated. And um, while in grad school, I said it was a way to cope with stress. It was definitely an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. I threw myself into exercise in a way that I never had before um, and really, really was pursuing intentional weight loss. So I was, I was starving. I was eating probably 1200 calories a day. If I got to 1600, my fitness pal would like stop telling me I wasn't eating enough. Cause apparently that's a flag that you can trigger on that horrible app.
0: Oh my God.
1: Um, and I was taking advantage of all the amenities of this fancy, fancy, fancy campus. Because when I went to undergrad, we were in the middle of nowhere in the woods in upstate New York. Right. So I was going to every spin class, every body pump class. I was working the desk at a hot power yoga studio to get free classes. Um, and I was literally wasting away, but getting all the praise for intentional weight loss, like all right. the attention and, um, the cheerleading comments that are actually just really problematic and scrutinized and have to do with fat phobia more than anything else. Yeah. Um, so I enrolled in my teacher training and the, I don't know if I should name <laughs> the studio or name the methodology. Maybe if folks like wanna talk about it offline, I feel more comfortable. Um, sure, so the, maybe
0: people can reach out to you if they're, if they're curious. Absolutely,
1: yeah. Okay. Right. So the teacher training I was pursuing is part of a much bigger yoga community mm-hmm. um, that I think does not stay in their lane or practice a, a clear, they don't like know what a scope of practice is. So right. basically, we read a lot of pseudo-psychological books that are adjacent to, if you're familiar with, like Landmark Forum. Oh, right. Um, yeah. Okay. So it's a negative psychology approach that's very victim-blaming, very not interested in social justice because it doesn't interrogate systems of oppression. So it's like everything you experience is
0: your own fault and your- It's your your story. Right, right, right,
1: right. It's your story, it's your fault. So in one of these wildly inappropriate, um, like we should have been supported by a therapist, homework assignments that was journaling, I was like, oh, yeah, remember that time when I was 15 that I was raped at a party by a young man in his 20s who I was like wildly in love with and then nothing ever happened.
0: Mm.
1: So that was huge. And then not kind of having like the therapeutic framework. Later that day, we were doing, I don't know, our 70 millionth Chaturanga. And Um, this methodology says that everyone gets hands-on assists. Consent doesn't exist. Hands-on assists are absolutely essential to the practice. You're not doing power yoga if you're not getting assists. And I, you know, had a violent, like shaking episode where I felt really, really, now I understand it was a trigger. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was very unsettling and very disturbing. And I remember trying to talk to my teachers about it and saying, Hey, like, can consent be a thing? Also, I told you in this homework assignment, I was raped as an adolescent and you kind of didn't say anything. You just were like, mm. cool, you, you did the assignment. And I was like, if this is coming up for me, this feels really, really important. And also it just occurred to me that the reason I love yoga is because my whole life as a chubby kid trying to be a dancer and failing because of my body type, I came to yoga because it's okay that I have this body. Even if I'm deliberately pursuing weight loss, it's not balancing choreography where if I'm not blessed with a perfect genetic arch or turnout, I can never complete the floor routine to my instructor's satisfaction. It's about finding my breath and doing what feels good. So then I like, yeah, I think I just went on a big nerdy mission of Why do I practice yoga? Why does it feel liberating? What's different about yoga and the dance world I grew up in? What the hell are we doing telling everyone that they have to be assisted? What the fuck are we doing asking people to interrogate their trauma and then say it's their own fault? Why is this here? So I definitely think I got a reputation as like the fresh out of 200 hour yoga baby getting hired for being um, outspoken. Mm. There were studios that told me that it wasn't appropriate when I would interrogate the assist policy or the dress code or really any of that. Um, And at the same time I was working for a no longer, well, I think maybe they're in hiatus. There used to be an awesome nonprofit here in Philly called Gearing Up that worked with women post-incarceration and kind of like, let's get you a break in your really rigorous treatment day, whether you're inpatient or outpatient and take you on bike rides around the city. And you can maybe earn a bike, you'll learn how to fix a flat tire. So it's kind of this like direct social work gig, but also you're doing evaluations on the benefits of exercise on drug and alcohol treatment. Mm -hmm. And it's definitely, definitely a program in response to trauma because almost every single client we saw in that program had a history of sexual violence as a child, Mm -hmm. often child sexual abuse, turned to drugs as a way to numb and cope from that awful, awful trauma. Then maybe they engaged in sex work to have more access to drugs and then they were incarcerated. So just this like never ending trauma cycle. Um, And on days when it was below freezing and no one wanted to change a flat tire and we were getting really antsy, we would do some yoga. Mm. Um which was amazing. But so many of like the poses like can you imagine doing happy baby in a room full of strangers in a residential treatment center with fluorescent lights Yeah no no. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, <no. laughs> in 2016 I found a program. Um, to get certified in trauma from yoga that was run by a social worker and psychologist, and it was freaking amazing. And it was ironically held at one of the toxic fitness studios. I had to leave (laughs) because it was not trauma-informed. Yeah, so that's kind of that's kind of it, and it's a long answer. No, it's
0: such a good answer. I mean, you, (laughs) my God, you talked about so many things that I want to dive into even more. But like just a little snapshot of like most fitness and most yoga is not
1: trauma informed and it fucking should be my God. Absolutely. And I think the other like big puzzle piece that I neglected to mention the week before I finished my 200 hour and it was power yoga. So it's hot and humid and you're doing like a million chaturangas. And in many ways that is a one size fits all practice because you right. learn one sequence right. and everybody does the same Sane and it's like a one size fits all. Um, I actually ended up in the ER. I oh like God. collapsed completely because can you imagine being in a hot, humid room doing like six power yoga practices a day no. <laughs> and trying to finish your grad school work and not eating, like eating no. as yeah. close to a thousand calories as possible.
0: Oh my God. Your poor yeah. body.
1: <laughs> yeah. I know. So my but body it, like couldn't do it. <laughs> couldn't do it. But like, there's, we live
0: in a culture where, I mean, yeah, I think there's a, hopefully for enough people, there is enough awareness to be like, maybe that's too much, but it, it's still something that people think is like maybe irresponsible and really healthy thing to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I also think because like, even as I was losing, like, I think I got like almost 50 freaking pounds off my body. I still wasn't like in the BMI range that wouldn't qualify me as overweight. So, you know, it can be so invisible to live in a bigger body and truly, truly, truly be in the middle of an eating disorder and no one sees it and you don't even see it because the cultural lens that you're looking at yourself from and that you're acting within tells you what you're doing is right and necessary to be good and successful. And like, Mm. yeah, I just feel like my entire freaking life was like trying to prove I was a good fat person. Like, oh no, I only eat dainty little salads at lunch. I never go to McDonald's. Like, it's not my fault that I'm a bad, lazy, immoral human. I just am fat. (laughs) So I'm like, yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
0: When did that, when did that shift for you? When did you have awareness around kind of the toxic nature of, of the dieting and of the intentional weight loss? When did that shift for you?
1: I mean, like going to the ER because that was it. That was like the moment that wasn't the moment. That was like an, Oh fuck. Um, and my, I had been using my fitness pal obsessively and like, you can turn the public settings on. Um, and my sweet dad who loves my fitness pal. Um, I remember him being like, you haven't logged your food in like five days, like what's going on. And then I had a friend who was on it, who was like in, you know, sort of the feed part of the app, um, who was on the keto diet. Mm -hmm. And I remember like I remember getting texts that were like, "Oh, hey, I see you're like really close to your calorie goal. If you do 80 jumping jacks, you can make it. I'm rooting for you."
0: From your, or friend. I would like.
1: <laughs> <Is> that- <laughs> it was rough. Oh
0: wrong. my god. <laughs> was,
1: yeah, and Wait, I would. So had your sorry, sorry. You had
0: your dad not seen you log food because you weren't eating, or just because you were not doing? Because it, not I,
1: logging I up. was like, I like couldn't do it. I was like recovering right. from this okay, hospital I see, I see.
0: trip. I see.
1: Yeah, so I was like. I was weak. I like felt like I couldn't walk through my apartment. Mm-hmm. Um, so to see like him to see my dad being like, Oh, Hey, you're not active on this thing. I was like, how many hours a day was I spending on this app? And oh, like, I see. and also if other people are seeing it, like, was it ever about me? If it was, mm-hmm. if it was about logging the meals and logging the calories and calories out to get the accolades and the comments from others. Like what, what also like, I don't have energy. I'm depleted. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna like eat for a week (laughs) and see how it feels. Um, I don't even know if that was like really it. I also think at the same time I was working for gearing up, my first yoga, um, teaching job was not actually in a studio. It was in a gym, which if you watched the latest episode or the latest season of Queer Eye, you saw that gym. Oh. Um, it's called Body Rock Boot Camp on Lancaster Ave in West Philly, um, run by an amazing guy named Nate. So he brought me on kind of thinking like, hey, I've got folks lifting the heaviest sandbags and doing battle ropes and doing TRX, and they need a way to recover. I heard your name, would you wanna teach yoga? Um, So all my clients there, like, did not look like the hot power yoga studio. I had professors in their late 60s, early 70s, who were um, working at the hospital system at Penn. I had women in heavy bodies who had never stepped foot in a gym before in their life. I had every gender expression, every body size. I had folks who have... uh, yeah just chronic injuries or what we would perceive as disabilities Mm -hmm. um and I do remember one night this woman came in and she sat down and she just like wanted to watch class and I really really encouraged her just at least to get on a mat um so that other folks didn't feel like they were on display and she like would kind of get on her mat occasionally and we chatted a bit um And at the end of the night, as everyone left, I was like hopping on my bike to pedal home and she was like, Oh, Oh, you biked here. And I was like, yeah, I don't have a car right now. And I, I do this bike job during the day. So I, I bike a lot. And she was like, Oh, but, and you just taught that class. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm really tired. I like need to eat. And she was like, yeah, but you're sick. You look like me. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) So that was Amazing. And I, I remember like going home and being really insulted and like telling my then boyfriend, now husband, like, is thick bad? Like, and I like and he was like, Honey, you are thick. Like, that's just a body type. Right. Um, and then I was sort of thinking, like, okay, if I look at all the studios I go to and even at my nonprofit job, like how many bodies actually look like mine? And it was very, very, very few. Um, So I don't know that that really, I think I've, even like this week I've engaged in sort of those toxic diet culture, thought patterns and behaviors. But I do think that that conversation with that client really changed something. Um, And I probably like changed my Instagram handle to Vixen that day.
0: Whoa, okay. So, so like when, so had you ever heard about health at every size at that point? Okay. So that was like the beginning of you kind of like opening up to maybe another way of approaching fitness and, yeah, and, and your relationship with your body.
1: And I think the reason that that happened was because she was expressing to me that she was looking at my body with awe. Right. (laughs) When I spent so much time looking at my body in frustration, if not outright disgust. right. And I looked back at her, like a woman who was much bigger than I was. And I didn't look at her with disgust. I looked at her with like excitement that she came to class, that she was talking to me. I looked at the bodies who had just walked out the door. And I thought every single one of them was amazing. Mm -hmm. So why was it I could look at my like 74-year-old client who will never touch his toes in his life and this woman who's never stepped foot in the gym before and is afraid of her own body how can I look at them with tenderness and adoration and admiration while leading the class I think I am bad or unworthy or disgusting
0: right so it was like an epiphany moment it was like a yeah seeing seeing everything in a, in a new way and also yeah. I can only imagine like having the experience where having you as a teacher in your body for her was actually healing. Yeah. Like That it was actually yeah. like a positive experience for her.
1: Yeah. I'm sure that that Absolutely.
0: was, yeah, that's really amazing. And then what was it like to kind of go through the process of learning more about, um, body positivity, body neutrality and health at every size. Was that something that you like started actively seeking out or was it something you just kind of like, Oh, you're like, there's a whole other world out there.
1: I don't know. I mean, cause I quickly got more and more like yoga gigs and obviously COVID changes everything, but the pre COVID landscape was like teach 12 classes and run around the city mm. and like everywhere. And then stuff approaching the bar in your face because you're shaking, it's it's a grind. Um, And I was also trying to teach yoga while I was doing these other full-time jobs, Um, like my quote unquote, big girl day jobs. Um, So I think, I don't even know how uh, deliberate it was. I just know that as I got quote unquote, like fancier jobs at fancier studios and fancier places, it just became more and more and more glaring to me how damaging and triggering certain other like workouts could be, even staff meetings, like the retail clothing that were available on the racks that a size medium was the largest thing a certain studio would carry. And like, you know, at my lowest weight, I was a size large.
0: Right. Um, So you didn't need to learn about it.
1: You were just living it. (laughs) You were living it. You were seeing it. You were experiencing it over and over. over. Right. Yeah. And then I do think also like I write a lot of long, very verbose captions on my Instagram. It's like my journal. And I think, you know, even though I have very, very small number of followers that has become this like beautiful community for me, because whenever I share something, Like, someone comments or slides into my DMs, and then we have this entire conversation that I then will go talk to my therapist about like two days later. I love that. But I do think it's like representation and just, you know, I was like an anthropology undergrad nerd. So I think it's that like overly inquisitive, analytical mind like, well, let's unpack this. (laughs) Like, what are the cultural messages that are actually salient here? Um, And I think it's just being that like inquisitive nerd always without what I'm experiencing, what I'm seeing, what my clients are telling me they feel. Yeah. So you're
0: primed to just look at it from that perspective, which is really great. Wow. I love all of that so much. Let's talk about your um, your
1: pregnancy and postpartum. How has that been for you? That has been a mind fuck completely <laughs> oh god I bet. I bet. yeah and like you know talk about unpacking and unlearning and writing and processing my dining room wall is currently covered in sticky notes like covered in them um because I think I might try and write a book <laughs> about mm-hmm. all yay. of them yay yay <laughs> which we can talk about offline because I have a thousand questions oh, yeah of course. um yeah but I remember like really early on in my pregnancy, realizing that I didn't see a lot of media representation of bodies that looked like mine, mm-hmm. um, which is even more interesting if I rewind because like I have what would be considered sort of medium fat privilege. Like mm-hmm. I can generally buy clothes that fit me if I walk down the street to Target, um, especially cause I'm only five foot two, <laughs> like being petite And a fat person is a really interesting way to be in the world. Mm. Um, But I found a podcast, I think it was called like Plus Mommy um, by like a woman who's pretty much, I don't know what she would consider herself. So I don't want to put labels on someone else, but someone who's a bit bigger than I am. And she just talked about how she created the podcast because there wasn't representation of fat bodies. And there's so much. During pregnancy, that is. Um, and there's so much fat phobia in pregnancy. Yes. I know you and Annie talked about the weight gain thing. Yes. And I was like screaming along to your conversation, like an invisible third friend hearing that. Because <laughs> I actually, I had seen all these media pop culture depictions of like food cravings and getting really big in pregnancy. And I was vomiting constantly constantly. In right. my first trimester, and I could not eat like food, even water for one very, very, very terrifying week made me oh, no. gag. Oh my god. Um, and it was so scary. And I would go in for my checkups and they weigh you and then they take your blood pressure, which is insane. They oh, should god. take your blood pressure and then make you look at a number on the scale that they're going right, to be then stress you terrible out. Terrible about. Yeah. So I was getting praised every time I came in in the first trimester because I was losing weight, which is terrifying. I was carrying my daughter and like using my blood volume and growing another organ like to support her and I couldn't eat. And I remember like telling a doula friend about it and she was like, oh, there's this great book you should read called Real Food for Pregnancy. And even trying to read the book made me want to vomit. because it was like descriptions of meat and vegetables and like i couldn't walk into a grocery store i couldn't walk into my kitchen i couldn't open the fridge it was bad i have a a friend (laughs) who had this a similar
0: experience to you and i like it's some of the most intense morning sickness that like yeah just like what you're saying it was like something that went on for months she was like caroline the only thing i can eat and i'm not kidding you and she's a nutritionist too she's like the only thing that i can eat without throwing up is toast with jelly it is the oh my god. Only thing. So
1: <laughs> mine was like dollar store pudding cups. <laughs> like Amazing. the only thing. The only thing. And like um, yeah, juicy juice boxes and pudding cups were an entire week of my life. And then like another week it was smoothie bowls. It was it was wild. It was absolutely wild. Wow. So I also um at the end of my pregnancy, I was like reading, you know, because I was a yoga teacher at the time, like all of these earth goddess mama, quote unquote, natural childbirth books mm-hmm. that now make me livid. And I one day will like ritualistically burn and let go of <laughs> because all these fucking books talked about um, contractions as sensation and your body was made to do this and inductions are the devil and C-sections are the devil. Just all of this like really, really anti-scientific nonsensical woo that I think is grounded in misogyny. Like, and it's only
0: going to make people more stressed when their
1: experience
0: doesn't line up with this like perfect, whatever, you know?
1: Yes. So I, um, I also learned in hindsight that my medical team in an effort to not make me feel stigmatized for my weight, because I, you know, I got my appetite back. I got the nausea under control. I fucking ate, I gained weight. Mm -hmm. Um, I, however, passed my glucose test with flying colors and did not get gestational diabetes, even though they told me I would, because I was a fat pregnant person. Um, and despite the fact that I put in cups for like a month, (laughs) um, I was getting subjected to extra, um, screening. So I would go in every Friday for a non-stress test. And I was like, why am I getting so many more ultrasounds than all my friends? So it turned out. they were doing that because I was considered a high risk pregnancy, but never told me. Just because you were fat. Yeah. Just because I was fat. So they scheduled me for an induction. Oh my God. But because I was reading my natural childbirth books about how, you know, you just squat on a birth ball and do a miraculous womanly thing. Um, I refused because I thought, oh my God, cascade of interventions. If I get an induction, I'm a failure. I'm not the strong. And I was like working out like like a crazy person, my whole mm. pregnancy, mm-hmm. like I was teaching 12 classes a week. I was doing crunches. There was like one night I finished teaching and threw up like immediately oh my God. Um, from heartburn. So I was like really naive and I think putting me and Alma at risk in certain ways. Um, but I refused the induction and then I refused it a second time. So I went 11 days past my due date in the end, and I was so—that's
0: so... that's what I was. <laughs> I was one oh. day's meaning me as okay, a baby, so maybe... not me as a pregnant
1: person. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe me and your mom have <laughs> to have like a talk. I cream. know. Well, it was—I was so full of baby and oh in so much pain, oh. and um, yeah. Natural, quote unquote, natural labor started on its own. Um, for me, two days before I had finally agreed to the induction. Oh wow! So I was in labor at home for two days. Not progressing, oh, no. mooing like a cow, and like all my beautiful yoga playlists and mantra cards and birth balls, they were meaningless because it was just agony. And I also, like, definitely flirted with some very dangerous pseudoscientific, like, ways to get labor induced right. on its own. Right. Do right. not drink castor right. oil. Please don't do oh that. My God, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. I didn't do it in the end, but I really, I was in my Amazon shopping cart um <laughs> which was like bad. Yeah, so I ended up having my daughter via emergency cesarean because mm-hmm. um once we began the induction and I finally agreed to an epidural which oh my god, can't recommend that highly enough. Oh
0: my god. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um yeah, she was I was too fatigued. It had been like days oh, no. and she was showing signs of distress which was absolutely terrifying um yeah but she was born perfect despite all of the many many signs she showed that something was really wrong at the end oh I'm so happy I was not fine. Oh, I'm I know, so I'm sure. <laughs> yeah and she's the best um but I was not fine I had an allergic reaction to one of I think it's actually a really 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 teeny tiny dose of fentanyl oh, in shit. the epidural So I had an allergic reaction. Oh no! um, Which can range from like convulsing to itching. In my case, it was projectile vomiting for hours. God, Larkin, (laughs) which is after your guts gave ripped out of you. Oh. So I like couldn't hold my baby. With I like was so groggy and depleted and vomiting. I remember like. One of my earliest memories of holding her, I just kind of turned my head and vomited all over my own shoulder to try and oh. keep it off of her little head. Oh no! You know? And like oh my gosh. recovering from a C-section while taking care of a newborn who doesn't sleep <laughs> is wild. I like couldn't lay down on my own. You're swollen. It's just something I That's felt so like intense. so unprepared for, and yeah, I, I and it made me feel like a failure. Right.
0: I think that that's like the the thread that I hear from so many new mothers is nobody talks about this stuff. I feel like I'm the only one struggling. I'm the only one who's like yeah. not a br- like a breeze at breastfeeding and a breeze at, you yeah. know, just popping back to what life was before. And I just think that there's this weird and totally unfair expectation. That's kind of Well, I I actually think it's more like the past century. It's been like, oh, it's like women can just, you know, women literally can do everything and never need any downtime and can just make it all seem so easy. Because I think in like cultures before, it was like, oh, you were allowed to stay in bed for months.
1: (laughs) Right, right. And I also think like, if you, it's also crazy because so social media like is not actually reality. It's a varnished polished veneer right but if you look on like mommy blogger mom influencer, social media there's no pandemic happening there's right. no massive economic crisis there's right. no reckoning for racial justice there's just beautiful babies in their organic cotton matching outfits right and on, on beautiful porches curls yes, yeah yes, beautiful yes. porches with the million with the pumpkin collection that probably I was just gonna say dollars. that I was
0: gonna say with like beautiful
1: fall foliage
0: yeah. and perfect white pumpkins
1: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah and like it's you know if you look like show me the fucking nannies show me the night nurses tell me that you gave your baby a bottle of formula because there's nothing wrong with that I know like, I know it's infuriating and it Yeah. So I definitely feel like despite the inordinate amount of screen time that I've had in my first year as a new mom, I've also like unfollowed, 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 muted, 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 muted. That's so great. I think that's so important. And I think we need to
0: constantly remind ourselves that we're allowed and encouraged to do that because social media is, it can be such an amazing, amazing place if you have a lot of awareness around it, but it can be so yeah. toxic and so stressful. Yeah. Larkin, and I, I want that's... to talk to you forever, but like we're <laughs> coming to the end of it. <laughs> I have
1: to go it too.
0: <laughs> but no um, <laughs> I want you to let everyone know is, well first of all, is there any last thing that you desperately want to say before telling everyone where to find you and plugging all of your cool stuff? Um I don't know. I just feel like I could keep talking to you forever. I know. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" It's been an hour. I I seriously <laughs> feel like we're at the beginning of the conversation. But... I know.
1: I know. <sighs> um, we'll have many more. We just have to yes. have many more. Yes. Um.
0: So tell us. So tell us where to find you online, and tell us anything that we might need to know about what you have out there. What's coming?
1: Cool. So you can find me on Instagram at Vinyasa Vixen. Um. I love a DM conversation, so like, please don't hesitate to reach out, um, and I love, love, love to refer folks out to my other favorite people I've been following and learning from and listening to. Um, I am teaching very, very sporadically because life without childcare in a pandemic is wild. Yes. I also live in a teeny tiny house, and there's literally no place to film that isn't oh, like girl, in my napping baby's you. crib. <laughs> I feel you. What? <laughs> yeah, wild, wild barrier. So <laughs> I will do it again one day. Um, in the meantime, I'm doing like the occasional private. It's not beautiful. It's a little janky. You're probably going to see my dirty laundry hamper. Um, yeah, but follow me on Instagram and you can check out my website and my sporadically updated blog. And I have some longer form writing pieces I'm working on. Um, and I do hope I will start transitioning a lot of the um teaching teachers and mentorship work I've done in the studio, sending it out onto my website. So maybe I have some like ebooks and seminars come in that I'm really excited about.
0: You can find links to find Larkin in the show notes of this episode. You can also find the woman who wrote to me, who's an anti-diet dietitian, Kate Brosnan. If you're interested in working with her, um, this, that's, this is not an ad for the podcast, but I figure she wrote to me, she wrote such a nice note and she's also an anti-diet dietitian. So I don't know if she has room for more clients, but you can find her linked as well in the show notes, as well as the sponsor for this episode, triangle guts and Dr. Deneza. And I think that's it. I think that's it. Thank you for listening end. I'm going to tell you, if you're still listening to this episode, I am going to go on a podcast hiatus. Now I'm going to have another episode next, uh, not next week. Well, maybe next week, but I'm going to have another episode. That's going to announce the podcast hiatus and it's going to be short. Um, but I'm just a little bit burnt out. And I need a break. And I think that what I'm going to want to do with this, and I'll say this when I release the short little episode about the podcast hiatus, I think what I'm going to want to start to do is to have seasons. So maybe like a half a year on, a half a year off. I think that'll help me really kind of give it my all and then have a little bit of time off to plan and have weekends when I'm not editing podcasts. Um, But no question this podcast will be back within a few months so it might be two months it might be four months but it will be back no like there's no doubt in my mind I just need a little bit of a break and I'm going to be focusing on my on editing my second book and you know crying just kidding no Um, I just need some time And I'm running the Fuck a Diet uh, Club right now, which is my live program, and my weekends are just, I just need, I just need more time. That's it. Um, But please stay subscribed, because I'm going to be back, and there's going to be more anti-diet talk, and there's going to be more dogmatic self-help talk, and there's going to be more talk. So please don't go anywhere. Just give me a moment to kind of reboot and maybe start doing things in seasons. So like maybe 2016 to 2020, early 2021 was season one. (laughs) And now I'm going to be starting season two sometime in the summer. Um, Okay. So I will, you will hear more on this. I'm going to release a little episode, I think late February to kind of just make it clear. And also so at the very, very top of, um, You know of the feed like if you look in itunes or spotify or whatever it'll say you know i'm on a podcast hiatus i'll be back you know so people kind of know when they look at the page that that's what's happening that i'm not just gone um but that it is definitely coming back so thank you for understanding and i will talk to you soon when i release the episode about the hiatus and then If you follow me on Instagram, I'm going to talk to you in like two fucking seconds because I'm on Instagram every fucking second of the day. Okay, goodbye.